What's up, guys? This is Ryan, and I am here with Mark. Hey. And we are... Bible Dingers. So, today we have a very special episode with a very special guest. Uh, We just went through the book of Matthew, and we mentioned in that episode that Matthew starts with an important genealogy that is supposed to catch the eye of the Jewish reader, which Matthew wrote his gospel to. Because that genealogy is the lineage of the Messiah according to the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to dive a little bit deeper into that. And because of that, we decided to bring on uh, really a very popular Messianic Jew who loves the Lord and loves to talk about how Jesus is the Messiah who was promised in the Old Testament. And that is Dr. Michael Brown. Michael Brown is the founder and president of Ask Dr. Brown Ministries and of Fire School of Ministry, and he's the host of the daily nationally syndicated talk radio show, The Line of Fire. He also hosts TV shows on God TV, MeTV, which airs in Israel and the Middle East, and NRB TV. He became a believer in Jesus in 1971 as a 16-year-old heroin-shooting, LSD-using Jewish rock drummer. Uh, So he has a little bit of a history there. Wow, that's a mouthful. Yeah. Since then, he has preached throughout America and around the world, bringing a message of repentance, revival, reformation, and cultural revolution. He holds a PhD in Near Eastern Languages and Literatures from New York University and has served as a visiting or adjunct professor at Southern Evangelical Seminary, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in Charlotte, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Fuller Theological Seminary, Denver Theological Seminary, the King Seminary, and Regent University School of Divinity. And he has contributed numerous articles to scholarly publications, including the Oxford Dictionary of Jewish Religion and the Theological Dictionary of the Old Testament. Yeah. So, uh, Dr. Brown is the author of more than 40 books, including Our Hands Are Stained with Blood, The Tragic Story of the Church and the Jewish People, which has been translated into more than 12 languages, the highly acclaimed five-volume series Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, commentaries on Jeremiah and Job, and numerous books on revival and Jesus' revolution. His newest books are Evangelicals at the Crossroads, Will We Pass the Trump Test, 2020, well, interesting. Uh, when the world stops, words of faith, sorry, when the world stops, words of hope, faith, and wisdom in the midst of crisis, which is also from 2020 and resurrection, investigating a rabbi from Brooklyn, a preacher from Galilee and an event that changed the world from 2020. Wow. Three books in 2020. Yeah. He puts out a lot of content. Yeah, so Dr. Brown is a national and international speaker on themes of spiritual renewal and cultural reformation, and he has debated Jewish rabbis, agnostic professors, and gay activists on radio, TV, and college campuses. He is widely considered to be the world's foremost Messianic Jewish apologist. And Spicy. Yes, very spicy. And that is why we had him on the show today, because... Uh, We really wanted to dive in, like we said, to that genealogy in Matthew, talk about Old Testament prophecies, if they point to Jesus or not, because that is hotly debated in the Jewish community. Um, So yeah, we hope that you guys enjoy this very informative interview. 
Slingers. So we just want to start off uh, just by saying thank you, Dr. Brown, for taking the time out to be with us. Um, it's a real privilege to be talking to you right now. Oh, my joy to, to be on the air with you folks. Yeah, thank you. Um, and we just want to start with the question, did Jesus fulfill any Old Testament prophecies? Jesus fulfilled the prophecies that had to be fulfilled before the second temple was destroyed. In other words, there are different streams of messianic prophecies, some which emphasize his priestly role, which takes in suffering, intercession, dying for our sins, some which emphasize his royal role, and those point to ruling and reigning over the earth and destroying the wicked and establishing peace and things like that. But the priestly prophecies had to be fulfilled before the second temple was destroyed, and I base that on Daniel 9, 24 to 27. I base that on promises given in Haggai 2 and in Malachi 3. Daniel 9 indicating that eternal redemption had to, to be made, atonement had to be made before the second temple was destroyed. Uh, Haggai 2 indicating that there would be a greater glory in the second temple than the first not speaking just of, of riches, but of the presence of God. And Malachi 3, telling us that the Lord himself would visit the temple. While Daniel 9 emphasizes the priestly aspect of things, the other passages emphasize the, the divine nature of the visitation and why this had to be the Messiah. So if he did not fulfill those, and of course the, the ultimate passage in Isaiah 53 which doesn't have a time frame on it, but speaks of him dying for our sins, if he didn't fulfill those before the second temple was destroyed, then we could rightly question whether there'll be any figure that'll fulfill the second part. If the first part wasn't done on schedule, then you can question whether the second part will ever happen. That's great. I mean, you, you definitely want to end up there. Just a follow-up question. Um, can we trust that Jesus actually fulfilled these prophecies? Couldn't the writers of the Gospels just made it appear that Jesus fulfilled these things? Yeah, so certain things you could argue, was he really born in Bethlehem, as Micah 5 points to? Oh, did that really happen or not? How do we know? Okay, you can debate that. You can, obviously, I believe what the scriptures say, but someone else could debate that. Or what about the virgin birth, which is hinted at in Isaiah 7? Uh, can we prove that that happened? No, no, we, we can't prove that that happened. Now, we, we have historical accounts that make clear that he was crucified by the Romans. We have a consensus among historians that it was believed that he was a miracle worker and that his followers believed that he rose from the dead. But here's the question, though. Number one, why manufacture a narrative that would be completely scandalous? For example, to speak of a virgin birth would be taken as a cover-up that he was actually born in sexual immorality. And we know that that claim is in the Gospels, you know, and, and he's considered Mary's son, and he's accused of being born in sexual immorality. Why create that? We don't have parallels like that in, in another religion or, or, uh, or to this day, parallels like that. Or why create the scandalous idea 
that the Messiah was going to die a criminal's death and pay for our sins? And then why paint a picture of the gospel authors, the heroes of our faith, the disciples, the apostles, as being so slow to get it, of being fools who, who, who completely blew it and didn't believe that he was going to rise from the dead? Why even have these things mentioned at all? It, it makes it all look bad. But then there's something bigger. The, the prophecies also indicated, for example, Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49, that the message would go to the ends of the earth. How are you going to manufacture that? Isaiah 49 also indicates that his own people would reject him. Same in Isaiah 53. How are you going to manufacture that? You could, you could say they came up with all these other stories and myths and we can't confirm it, but how are you going to manufacture him being rejected by his own people and yet this crucified carpenter becomes the, the best-known Jew of all time, and his message is listened to and believed by, by hundreds of millions of people to the ends of the earth, and it's all prophesied. That gives credence to the rest of what they wrote, because the big things that they couldn't manufacture, those have come to pass. I wanted to follow up on, you gave, you gave some examples of Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, and also gave some good reasons why these stories about Jesus couldn't have been manufactured. What do you think the likelihood is that Jesus isn't the Messiah? Well, to me, it's an utter impossibility. Now, first and foremost, he changed my life. I, I just want to speak as, a, as an individual, not as a, an Old Testament or Hebrew scholar or anything like that, but simply as an individual transformed by him. When I was a heroin shooting LSD using rebellious hippie rock drummer, when I wasn't looking for God and when I didn't believe in Jesus as a Jewish kid, that he transformed my life. He set me free. He moved in my life in ways that are indisputable. And that was almost 50 years ago. I've walked with him all this time. It's utterly impossible to me that he is not the Messiah. But putting that aside, just looking at it at an academic viewpoint, and, and looking at what Scripture claims and what's happened through history, I'll say again, if he is not the Messiah, then there never will be a Messiah. If he's not the Messiah, then we can't trust the Bible at all. If Jesus really fulfilled these Old Testament prophecies, why is there still a large amount of the Jewish population that still doesn't believe that he is the Messiah? Well, there, there are many, many answers to this question, so let, let me hit on some of the, the main ones. Uh, we could ask why people in general just don't believe in God. You know, we could ask that larger question. Why don't people believe in God when he works so mightily in so many other lives, when we have the evidence of God in creation and, and so on and so forth? Why do people reject God's mercy? So that, that's a larger question. Why do people around the world not believe but as far as Jews not believing in Jesus, there, there are many reasons. One is that historically, Jews have been born of parents who didn't believe, so you're raised in an environment where you don't believe. So if I ask your average Christian, why don't you believe in Muhammad? Well, they'd say, because we're Christians. They haven't really examined who he is. They haven't read the Quran. They haven't studied it for themselves. They just don't even think about it because, in fact, we believe something different. So... Jewish people for generations, since Jesus was rejected 2,000 years ago by the Jewish leadership, uh, they've been raised in homes that don't believe in Jesus. So it's just what you grow up with. That's one thing. A second thing is that Messianic prophecy is not just a mathematical formula. 
the eyes of our heart must be open. In other words, every prophecy that I've pointed to, traditional Jews will have an answer explaining, well, this is why it doesn't apply to Jesus, or this is why it's not really messianic, or here's why you're misinterpreting it. So we have all of these other interpretations, and unless God opens someone's heart and mind, they may not see it. Just remember that all those prophecies were there, and, and Jesus kept talking about his death and his resurrection, and yet his disciples didn't get it because they were expecting the Messiah to be someone else. They were expecting the Messiah to be a conquering king, and, and they, even though he kept talking about it, they didn't get it until after he rose, and then he opened their eyes. I have a friend of mine who is a Japanese-American, but he lives in Texas, and he was invited over to speak, I think it was in Malaysia, and they waited at the airport for him. It was many years ago. They didn't have his picture. They just knew it's this Christian leader from Texas. He got off the plane with many other Asians. He couldn't find his host. They couldn't find him. He checked into a local hotel. They finally located him the next day and said, oh, we didn't realize that you were Asian. We just thought you were from Texas. They were looking for the wrong guy. So even though the real guy got off the plane in front of their eyes, they were looking for someone else. So that is the case. Traditional Judaism has painted a different picture of the Messiah now with other expectations, and therefore Jesus is not seen as the one fulfilling it. And again, for many, they've never really investigated it. They've never taken the time to stop, to study, to pray. The good news is that there's always a remnant that believes, in keeping with Old Testament times, that a remnant of Israel believed. And there are hundreds of thousands of Jews today who follow Jesus as the Messiah, and there have been millions through the generations. It's kind of speaking on that remnant and the, uh, the Old Testament passages that you mentioned, would you say that God still does have a plan for the Jewish community for the future? Oh, 100%. I don't question that for a split second, both based on Scripture and based on experience. Scripture is emphatic. Jeremiah 31, verses 35 to 37 say explicitly that no matter what Israel does, God will preserve Israel as a people. As long as heaven and earth stand, God will preserve Israel as a people. He's promised that emphatically. Romans 11, beginning verse 25, Paul explains that Israel as a whole has been hardened. The remnant believes, but Israel as a whole has been hardened. And yet, verse 26, in the future, that hardness will lift and, quote, all Israel will be saved. He's not talking about the church, not talking about Gentiles, not talking about the accumulation of Jewish believers through the centuries, but there'll be a national turning of the Jewish people at the end of the age. He goes on to, to speak of Jacob receiving forgiveness of sins. That's, that's the Jewish people. And the people that will one day be forgiven right now are enemies of the gospel, but they will be forgiven in the future. In other words, not Jews through all time, but the, the final generation. And, and Paul explains it's because the gifts and calling of God, Romans eleven twenty nine are irrevocable. So this has nothing to do with Israel's goodness. This has to do with God's goodness, not Jewish faithfulness, but divine faithfulness. And then experientially, we can see that no people group has been scattered from their homeland for many generations only to maintain their identity and then to be regathered back to their ancient homeland. It's never happened. So if, if you say, hey, I'm a fourth generation Irish American or I'm a third generation Chinese American, 
if you stay here long enough, then there'll be assimilation into the culture. And if there was the exiling of your entire nation, you no longer had a homeland, you'd lose your national identity. And yet somehow God has preserved the Jewish people and then brought us back to the land. This has never happened with all the attempts to wipe us out, yet here we still are. So based on scripture, based on experience, and there are many other passages I could point to, yes, there is a bright future for the Jewish people by God's grace, but there has been much suffering along the way. Awesome, awesome answer. I really appreciate you. Um, and I, it's apparent that you are passionate about the Jewish people. So with that being said, what can we do as a church, a universal church, in order to reach the Jewish community with the gospel? How, what's a way into their heart? What's a better approach? For them specifically? Number one, pray for God's heart for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You were talking about diverse people, some very religious, some totally secular, uh, some like your, your best friend that you grew up with, some with a very different cultural background. So, you know, a lot of diversity, but pray for God's heart because there's a certain brokenness in God's heart over the lostness of his covenant people. So I would start there, like with any group I want to reach out to, pray for God's heart of true love. That's the first thing. The second thing, recognize Jewish people sin like everybody else, that, that it doesn't matter whether the person is wearing a yarmulke or not, whether the person has a long beard or not. Every, everyone sins the same, and everyone needs a Savior. And the vast majority of Jews that you'll meet in America are not religious and, and might might be willing to come to a church service like anybody else. Now, now many won't because of the horrible history of anti-Semitism in the church, because of persecution of Jewish people in Jesus' name, because of the horrors of the Holocaust, which takes place in a, quote, Christian country and Christian Europe. So many Jews have a, a lot of obstacles. That's another reason many Jews don't believe in Jesus, namely church history. But many other Jews, it's not a big issue today because they're just dealing with you. If you're a nice person and a decent person and take an interest in their lives, then they may be open to hear more. So first, pray for God's heart for them. Second, recognize they sin like anyone else and they need a Savior like anyone else. And third, study more about the Messianic prophecies. Uh, study more about what Scripture says about Jesus fulfilling these things. So if you're talking to a Jewish person who's interested, you can point them in the right direction. And then if questions come up, just point them to our website, AskDrBrown.org. We've got tons of material, videos, teachings that will help deal with the objections. I've got a five-volume series on answering Jewish objections to Jesus and then a 22-hour DVD series or, or audio series where people can watch or listen and learn how to deal with the objections. And, and then you just write, hey, my friend has these questions, and, and we have dedicated staff that will answer the questions and point them to helpful resources. That's great. And uh, I appreciate all that, Dr. Brown. Honestly, my last answer to, to the guest is always, do you have more resources? And he just went ahead and gave it to us. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, so if they go, if they go to the website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, they click on a link that says Jewish. That'll get them to a dedicated Jewish website, a real Messiah. They can watch debates we've had. Or if they just explore on YouTube, debates I've had with rabbis and things like that. So, yeah, our goal is to equip and, and to help you be ready. And, and here's the deal. You may be sharing the gospel with a very secular Jewish friend that hasn't been in synagogue in 20 years. But once they start to, to come to faith in Jesus, either on their own or through a family member or friend, they're going to be pointed to rabbis, to counter-missionaries, 
who raise all these arguments against our faith. We, we have answers to every one of them. Every major argument we have answers to in print and on video. And, and even if they're not religious then, they may become more religious and now get hit with these objections. That's why it's just good to know the answers are there. And, and look, I'm not, I'm not strong in like scientific or philosophical apologetics. Those aren't my fields. But I know people that are. That's all I need to know is that the resources are available. So share the gospel freely. Reach out to Jewish people. Pray for them to come to know Jesus as Messiah. And if issues or objections come up, we have the resources to help. Awesome. Well, you gave us a lot to think about, and I really appreciate all your answers to our questions. I think they were honest, and uh, I think that you you know what you're talking about, and you also have a passion for this, I think. And, and I really appreciate you being on the show, Dr. Brown. Thanks again. Yeah, we all My do. Joy we to all do, do. It. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown. All right. God bless. All right. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Bible Dingers. Bible Dingers.